First uh, recording of the RiskCast podcast here with the uh, editors of Risk Management Magazine and the uh, Risk Management Monitor blog. Uh, my name is Bill Coffin, publisher and, and editorial director of all these things. Uh, with me are my compadres, Emily. Emily, say hi. Hello. And this misanthrope, Morgan O'Rourke. What's up? <laughs> Excellent. Um, Not a misanthrope. You are a misanthrope. <laughs> you are a misanthrope, which is why we love you so. Curmudgeon. Ah, there you go. You're I too like young that. for a curmudgeon, though. That's you're, true. You're, kids, you're, kids are. Uh, you're an old kids man. can stay on my lawn still. Yeah, you're, <laughs> he's an old man in a young body. Uh, anyway, uh, right. So I figured I'd just sort of start off. Uh, we're going to basically create this podcast. So we can talk about things that are going on in the news that are of interest to risk managers and just the discipline of risk management in general. Uh, but uh, in keeping with how we run our magazine, how we run a blog, these are things that are primarily primarily of interest to us and, and the thing, kind of things we like to write about and talk about uh, that are just uh, you know kind of interesting. So. I figured we'd start off. Uh, I was checking through some of the headlines from the news this week, and um, it's been a week like any other, but some interesting stuff came around. Uh, notice on Monday there was a story from USA Today about um, you know about Somali pirates, which is something we've been talking about a lot just this whole year, right. and we're going to bring it up in our December issue of the magazine. It's one of the, the year in risk kind of stories. Um, but, but it was funny because there, there are two, two uh, kind of connected items. One was uh, Monday in USA Today, uh, I guess the Navy was talking about how since they and many other nations have been arriving off the coast of Somalia to beat the crap out of uh, any pirates that raise their head, uh, the number of actual piracy incidents has gone way, way down, which not all that surprising. Uh, turns out, though, on, I guess, Thursday, a... a story came out that some pirates in Singapore seized a container ship, and that apparently uh, piracy in the Indian Ocean is now increasing because piracy off the Somali coast really? is now such a dangerous place. So, I guess I guess pirates are going further and further out in the ocean to... You know, when, mom, when mom goes away, the kids have to yep. find another place. <laughs> exactly. I just, you know, I, I don't know. I just... I, I remember a couple well, wasn't years ago... There a story with the, uh, where, didn't, wasn't there the story with the pirates attacking the French... Yeah, the French, the French uh, warship. warship yeah. yeah, that they didn't realize it was a French warship right. until they got on the... Went, ooh, hey, they're wearing uniforms. <laughs> Um, can we rewind, please? <laughs> we chose poorly. No, we came aboard for business loan. That's all we're here for. No, yeah, we just, we were we swam we swam too far out. Yeah, we exactly. need a ride. Well, some of the things that's going on. Apparently, a lot of a lot of merchant ships are really taking like anti-piracy stuff seriously, and they're doing things like check this out. They're um, they're using water hoses to blast people right. off deck, which is not not unusual. They're str- they're stringing up concertina wire along the side of the that, that's like piano wire along the edge of the boat. So I'm guessing if you're climbing up and you grab it, you're gonna you know cut your fingers. Why really? wouldn't they just put like barbed wire? I, 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 yeah. I don't know, but concertina so wire. So it's kind of like they want them to get halfway up and then get hurt. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So they can laugh at them as they fall all the way down <laughs> exactly. and bleed in the water. Exactly. And bleed exactly. in the water, you know, and then the sharks come. Yeah. And then we have a shark shark yeah. attack. Well, at least they take care of <laughs> Exactly. Um, but here's the here's my here's my favorite is that. Some crews are also storing Molotov cocktails on board to hurl at the pirates, which can only end in tragedy for all when you figure... It seems, it seems so amateurish. <laughs> it does, right? Well, we're going to put up piano wire and Molotov cocktails. Yeah. Yeah. Well, isn't there like a, a law saying you can't, fire, you can't carry uh, firearms... On the cargo ships, and that's why nobody. Oh. Right. Well, the international sea laws. I, I, I know that there's there are certain laws that are preventing armaments on civilian ships. Right. However, I don't know if small arms are 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 in that because I think I think because I remember like a lot of ships in the Caribbean, like during like the the 18, 1980 drug runner heyday, a lot of um a lot of uh, like like 
private yachts and sort of thing, often they'd carry like little weapons locker on board, like pistols and a shotgun or something, to protect their boats in case like drug runners would try to seize their ships because there's a little piracy bloom then mm-hmm. when people just try to steal, you know, cigarette boats and you know sailing boats that sort of thing, just as as use for little you know disposable smuggling ships. So I reckon you could have a small weapons locker on board. I mean. I'm sure somebody out there knows positive, but I mean, I think what they are talking about is they don't want cargo ships mounting like you know flat cannons well, on, just on the bow and you know missile launchers to blow the hell they out don't of. Want out them of, to be their own little warship then either. Yeah, yeah, you're right. You know, well, wasn't there, there was that movie? Uh, well, sorry, Emily. That's no, all right. Emily doesn't watch a lot of movies. <laughs> Life <laughs> Aquatic. Did you ever see that? I did not Bill see Murray. Life Aquatic. There no. was. Oh, there wow. was I, I should have, but I missed it. They, they I can't were. believe you missed that one. Oh, don't you get on me? Did you see it? No. Of course not. No. There was a scene about piracy and it was and Bill Murray pulled a gun and whatever. Who cares? Boring anecdote when. Nobody sees a movie, so everybody, if you want to see a movie that has a piracy scene that has nothing to do with the rest of the movie, watch Life Aquatic. There you go. Next. Excellent, excellent. (laughs) Um, Another interesting, on Tuesday, a story came out about how, I guess, um, representatives from the life insurance industry are going after Michael Moore because in his latest film, uh, here we go back to movies, Mm -hmm. uh, Capitalism Love Story, he goes after the whole notion of corporate-owned life insurance. And basically says it's this morbid practice in which companies take out life insurance on their own employees. So when they die, the the company cashes in on, on the life insurance policy. Um, <clears throat> Coli, C O L I. Really, it's, what it's meant for is companies would take it out on like their key executives or like you know key man insurance. So like if say uh, Apple loses Steve Jobs, they'd have an they'd have a policy on. I don't know if they actually do, but theoretically. They take a policy out on them, so if they lose this one key guy, they'd have an insurance policy that they could cash in on. That would, I guess, the idea is the cost would help them defray the cost of any lost revenue as right. a result of losing this person, or maybe whatever extra costs are going to be incurred to bring on somebody else to replace them. Uh, but apparently, it's become it, it, it's it's a product that has like a checkered history because a lot of people used to take it out all the time on like everybody in the company. They used to call it peasants insurance. Yeah, that's that's or, a little... uh, janitors insurance, and it actually created like tax problems with the mm-hmm. IRS, right? But eh, I don't no see anything that. wrong with with companies taking out life insurance on the top executives. Yeah. But for every single employee yeah. in the company, well, it's that's not like a they're shady. taking out the insurance policies and subsequently going and killing them to collect. <laughs> yeah, I mean, right. No, but like I figure, if you want to pay insurance premiums, take out insurance on anything. It doesn't necessarily mean you're going to cash in. It's you know, it's the same as taking insurance policy out because you want to. You're a singer who wants to insure their voice. Yeah. It, it doesn't matter. I think Just it would be a waste of money for the for the company for lower level. Employees. Well, you have to balance. I would imagine you have to balance the uh, well, my, my, the value of yeah. that employee versus right. the premiums you have to pay. Well, my understanding is that after a bunch of IRS cases uh, some years ago, that it's really constricted mainly to just executive level stuff. Right. And I guess I guess its detractors now call it E. coli. E. coli. <laughs> We're executive good. level uh-huh. stuff. Um, but Pleasure. you know, you know what I found most interesting about this isn't so much the the practice of coli, but the fact that Mike Moore went after him apparently with. Well, only was, did he have a problem with this? What was of course, he had a problem with it. Well, he has a problem it, with everything. I understand. Well, it's a problem with everything. But but. You know, you know, from my point of view, it, it, it just under, underscores a constant thing I'm seeing, which is, you know, the, the insurance industry once again made into a very, very easy villainized target, right? Mm-hmm. And, and they're just doing something that really isn't necessarily illegal or even unethical or anything. Is actually sound business practice to it, you know? Yeah, and yeah, and and uh, and, and it just it, it these guys are so easy to villainize, and they 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 something like Michael Moore comes by, paints them with a big brush. And then the in, in, the industry somehow acts like, geez, wh- wh- why did this ever happen? It's like there's there still seems to be this lack of effort on the part of the insurance industry to recognize wholeheartedly that people do not trust them because of the inherent nature of this of this of this transaction, and that people like the Michael Moore's of the world are always going to come slamming at them, and right. they just don't seem to seem to see it or, or be able to take some industry wide effort to educate people as to why they do what they do. They're an easy villain because nobody wants to. Nobody likes somebody when they pay something, you don't get something tangible back. At least not right away. Right. It would mean you always want them to be there when, when you finally do have a claim, but 
things if as long as things don't go badly, you're just paying money for nothing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's always going to be a problem when you've got to pay money for something. I get annoyed when I'm paying money for some for anything that is wasted. You know, if I bought a gallon of milk and dropped it on the way home from the store, right. I'd be slightly annoyed because I have a mental <laughs> problem. Well, I mean, it's only two bucks, but I'd be like, well, this is annoying. So you don't yeah. like to pay something for something that you don't yeah. get any return, I would imagine. Yeah. So the insurers are just in that sort of business where you just see them making money on your behalf yep. until it comes time, you know, for, for you to for, collect, for, for, and then you expect they better be there. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, and then, and then, even if you're claiming something and you're you're cashing in the thing you paid for, you're still unhappy because your house is burnt or your business is blown wide open. Oh, you're or something. In the hospital. <laughs> never right. hospital. Good, yeah, yeah, the never. check is usually you can't live in the check. Yeah. You know, you can't like put it over your head when your yeah, house yeah, exactly. So it's sort of like, okay, that's great. Yeah, it's like, but it's you know, it's small consolation. I, you know, I, I feel for insurance companies in this regard. I really do because there's no happy resolution. I mean, it's always like you know, they they try to sell the whole notion of peace of mind. But for a lot of people, especially in this country, insurance. I mean, I imagine commercial buyers are a lot more realistic about it. Uh, but certainly on the personal side, people see insurance as a right that you pay for. They don't see it as something that, like 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 something that you. They don't look at it as a product. Like okay, I bought peace of mind. They expect peace of mind because they're Americans <laughs> and bad yeah. things don't happen to Americans. You know, and the insurance thing they just had to pay for because somebody said they did. The bank said they had to do it to keep their house loan or whatever. And then it goes south uh, because a problem happens, and they just look to villainize the insurance industry. The fact is that insurance companies, they're they're business. They're in the they're in business to make money, and it's obvious. It's it's obvious. Yeah. But if you're whole, you know, you've got to respect that they're going to do the things to reduce their risk, just as any other mm-hmm. company would do. Yeah. So that sometimes means taking out policies or or putting conditions on policies that seem a little less than charitable. Yeah. But so be it. Well, that actually mean, that actually brings us to a story that came up on Wednesday, which was uh, Representative uh, Gene Taylor from he's a Democrat from Mississippi. Um, I guess because Obama went down to New Orleans this week for a quick quick you know view to see how things were going on and hear people's grievances over how slow the reconstruction was and all that he um <clears throat> he wrote the president a letter basically adding uh, urging him to incur, to include wind damage to the national flood insurance program as as as, a, as, a, as an insured peril uh, and this is because obviously just all when all those hurricanes hit the gulf a couple years ago that wind versus water claims debate you know it's you know you right. you have homeowners insurance it covers you for wind damage it doesn't cover flood damage the, you know, the storm comes by, tears your roof off, the rain fills your house up with water. Well, what is it? Is it a wind loss or is it a, is it a flood loss? And pretty much a lot of claims were, were handled in a way that, you know, suited, you know, an insurance company. They wanted to, because they had to figure out some way to to, <laughs> to mitigate their losses, you know, and, right. uh, you know, and, and made a lot of people really unhappy. So I guess he's working on, and, and then he subsequently introduced a bill, uh, which would be the uh, Multiple Peril Insurance Act of 2009 to add wind coverage to the flood insurance program. So um, I don't know if it's going to go anywhere. Uh, I don't think it actually has uh, somebody else sponsoring the bill or anything like that. So it might just be one of those things just sort of thrown out there in the House of Representatives and dies a quiet death. But it seemed like an interesting interesting thing that somebody finally is, from the legislative point of view, trying to fix this pernicious gap. At the very least, they get their constituents happy that they're trying to do something, even if it goes nowhere. Yeah. It seems like a lot of these bills kind of seem like attached yeah. to whatever the issue of the day is. And yeah. Whether or not they gain traction is... I, I would love to know what the percentage of them is that do. Well, what I thought was interesting is that this guy, the guy who's, who brought this thing forth, he was doing it from from Mississippi. You would expect this to come from Louisiana, right? But 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 this guy being representative of Mississippi, because they had that little tiny, right. you know, bit of the, uh, bit, bit of land. Yeah. His point of view was that it is just impossible for any kind of coastal property insurer to 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 um, to underwrite adequately without the entire book of business getting hit in a single claim. It's just impossible because of the geography of the land, and the, and as a result. You know what it really leads to is the state insurance fund can't possibly uh, underwrite things either, and you know, right. you know because 
the same reason. There's no different, no, no way to, to spread the risk. So they just end up re- reinsuring themselves like crazy, and they don't do it through offshore, you know, the same offshore tax havens that Obama mm. himself slammed during the campaign season. So it's just this big connected problem, and I think it's the reason why they're going for let's make the flood insurance program, you know, be the one that carries the weight for this sort of thing. There's a back end of that problem, which is, you know, farmers in Kansas get ticked off every time they feel like they're paying for right. somebody's, you know, hurricane-prone, uh, uh, you know, beach house in Cape Cod or something, but... What are you going to do? You know, they, they, those same guys in Cape Cod pay for the Kansas uh, was, farmers' yeah, I mean, tornado it, it, damage. So there's, yeah, there's there's revenue coming in from them too. So over <laughs> the total GDP, I'm sure yeah. that they make a pers- uh, yeah contribution to that yeah. as well. Yeah. So. Well, I was researching for the year and risk issue and the flooding uh, in Georgia. I guess I was I wasn't aware that the homeowners insurance did not include you know didn't cover flooding. Yeah. And in Georgia for all those floods, you know, they didn't have flood insurance. They just had their regular homeowners insurance because how often does it flood in Georgia? Hardly ever. So yeah. a lot right. of the yeah. a lot of that damage is, you know, I'm uh, sure. not covered. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, it's with you you get a lot of that. I mean, a lot of the third world disasters. They're right. relatively I mean, it's a lot of damage. It looks pretty bad, but most of it's uninsured losses yeah. because they're third world countries or or you know yeah, they it, don't it, have the resources to ensure that to the level that we can. Yeah, exactly. So, but, but, um, but that this brings me to another story from this week, which is the fact that that um, you know, hurricane level. This has been an almost non-existent hurricane season. Which has is there been any hurricanes? There's yes, been, there's there have been, been about six or seven na- yeah. named hurricanes. Those um, named storms, but I don't know if there's a. There've been, uh, I think, about twenty named storms in the Pacific. That's you know, tropical storms right. plus hurricanes, and then about ten in the Atlantic. Yeah. Um, but only out of those, only about six hurricanes, and none that caused any major damage. Yeah, yeah. There's been virtually no hurricane damage in the U.S. so far this year, and there's been, and, and I don't think there's been any hurricane damage that has uh, crossed the 25 million dollar threshold for being considered a catastrophic event. Nope. Um, so, but and that, I mean, the season goes through the end of November, right? November uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, I know it's not. It's you know, no, no, November is kind of the. Uh, you it's know, not like Mother Nature goes. Oh, November thirtieth. <laughs> Time to punch out. It's on. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> exactly. So, but I um, but 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 what, what I find really interesting is, is how the hurricane industry really is kind of how uh, the hurricane industry, the hurricane season, it kind of that would be cool though if it was an industry, right? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. We gotta crank these mothers out. I don't really think we need that many hurricanes. We have enough this <laughs> year. Let's just not invest in that anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but um, this, this this comes from the Insurance Information Institute, which I thought was pretty cool. Um, and just sort of illustrates to the extent to which the property casualty industry kind of lives and dies by the hurricane season. Is that uh, all right? This is from uh, Bob Hartwig or President Robert Hartwig, who used to be their economist, now he's the president. He had mentioned um, that the insurance industry posted a first quarter net loss of 1.2 billion dollars. Okay, but they had a net profit of 5.7 billion in the second quarter of this year. Okay, third quarter results are not in yet, but they're probably going to be way higher because of the continued recovery of the markets and also because the cat loss has been very, very have right. been very, very minor. So we may see an, an insurance industry that's very flush with cash by the end of the year because they've been reserving adequately for hurricane losses and haven't seen them. Now, that could all disappear next year when Hurricane Omega wipes out, you know, mm-hmm. Houston or, or something. In, you know, I mean, God, <laughs> take, forbid, God take, forbid later in this year. It's not to say just because yeah, right. it hasn't happened doesn't mean yeah. it won't. You know, but it'll be interesting to see, you know, if you know, if we ride out the rest of the year very, very quietly, um, the insurance industry is going to be in a really nice position. Everything, the reserve levels will be really high up, and it, you got to wonder if that's going to have any kind of impact on pricing. You know, probably not, but um, who knows? It, Hard to say. I mean, 
I couldn't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> Figure somebody's going like, to hedge their would, bets at some point. Well, you would like to think that, I mean, if they've had a fantastic year and they've got billions in reserves and that sort of thing, that, you know, probably this might be a good time to look at, you know, more competitive pricing for their, you know, for, you know, for right. things. Um, you, know, you know, certainly it might be a good time for them to maybe earn a little goodwill and to take a concrete step on the wind versus water debate. It might. It, they might have to. Has, I mean, if you think you know, the rest of the economy, is, is, while it's, you know, Dow hits 10,000, that's nice for the uh, – you know, for the round number crowd, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean that everything is just on the rebound. So maybe, you know, like you said, earn a little goodwill. Let's 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 look at those prices again and see what happens. Exactly. I I mean I don't see why you wouldn't if if you can afford to. But then again, I don't run an insurance company, do I? <laughs> Thankfully. It's probably a good reason that, 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 that nobody here at this table does. So. Yes. Yeah, more than likely. I mean, it, it, uh, you, you want prices. That, we all want prices to go down, though. It's yeah. not like things are going to yeah, just so, turn around just because no. they say so. Well, and then on Friday, this came in um, that uh, U.S. Treasury Secretary Timothy Geithner, he uh, mentioned, uh, I, I guess, uh, Senate Banking Committee Chair Chris Dodd uh, had a proposal to consolidate all U.S. bank re- regulators into a single agency. And uh, Geithner said, that's a bad idea. It's uh, not necessary and probably not desirable, which you know just struck me as kind of an odd, I don't know, it's kind of an odd thing. I, I, I've been focusing so much on regulatory push towards the insurance industry and Especially with regards to, you know, um, the insurance rating industry, uh, which is a private industry, yeah. is not beholden really to anybody except their own clients. And there's been some murmurings in Campbell Hill of maybe coming up with some sort of federal government version of the rating agencies. You know, uh, so I've been focusing on that, not so much on bank regulation. But I mean, I thought it was interesting. Guyton was like, no, 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 we don't. You no, know, every, everything's good just the way it is. Even though yeah, you know, it worked out so well so far. It worked out so well so far. I mean, exactly. We, we don't need anything. Well, you know, <laughs> and, and I could be way off base here, but when I was reading into the story a little bit more. I mean, it seemed like Guyton's main source of logic was that the recovery in 2010 is going to be slow and gradual, and as a result, the inflation will get so crazy. So the way things are now, we'll, we'll be able to keep a lid on things, you know, because it's not going to be a fantastic year in 2010, which struck me as, as I don't know, it just seems like kind of stupid reasoning <laughs> just well, to go for why to uh, not, maybe, why maybe not improve regulatory oversight over a system. Yeah, that exactly. It's just hard to loopholes. improve something when everything is still screwed up. Yeah. I mean... Yeah, but gotta, something needs to happen now, rather sooner than later, you know? Well, it's just, yeah. I was just looking at bank failures. All over again. There's been about a hundred bank failures, give or take a couple, this year so far. Okay, Const- contrast that with 2008, where there was 25 bank failures, mm. and 2006, 2007, where there might have been three total. <laughs> so yeah, there's something good. Something, something's not right with the banks, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah. uh, for obvious reasons, certainly. But banks are failing at a record rate. We certainly, well, I could see, you, you know, might might might, might want to look into that. I don't know. I'm, yeah, I disagree with him. Yeah, so, well, that's what I have for the week in news. Although I gotta be honest with you, I was going through stories and looking and looking, and you know what I didn't find anywhere? I saw not one mention in the in the trade news. Balloon Boy. Nothing about Balloon Boy. Oh yes. God! <laughs> there should never be anything about Balloon Boy. Go ahead, Morgan. A bunch of stupid parents made a jiffy pop that went in the sky, and then and then they lost track of their kid. The and stupid then? thing was on CNN last uh-huh. night. Wolf Blitzer is interviewing Falcon, whatever his name is, which is kind of Wolf versus Falcon, (laughs) which is the most ridiculous thing. CNN! Is CNN really this ridiculous at this point? I mean, do they have any real news? Do they realize that a bunch of tinfoil in the sky and and the kid didn't die, which which, which makes – 
you know, it's good. I'm happy for the fact that yeah, the kid yeah, didn't yeah, die. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's you the know. official position of this blog that we are officially happy a small child I'm glad not the child to death. Died. Morgan was born angry, though. <laughs> Morgan was born but angry. But can CNN find any real legitimate news to report on at this point? I would think there's anything more than spending, well, Wolf Blitzer, your show about a kid who didn't die. How long is the show? Is it an hour? I don't know. I, was, I wasn't paying attention. It was on in the background, That's, and I kept yeah. seeing all you saw well, was the, the family. I, I, right? I read it for the articles. Right? Yeah. All you saw was the family. Sitting yeah. there, being interviewed, forever. Like it seemed like they just stopped. Yeah. No commercials. Let's just interview the family. And the kids couldn't even sit still. They're like of falling down. Yeah, yeah, They're right. like jumping off the yeah. chairs. Their hands are going up, and you just wanted to smack them and just stay still. Although I, 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 I would never want to smack a child. Yeah. <laughs> well, no. no, you'd want to. I want to. I would exactly. do that. No, um, no, the uh, the uh, <sighs> thing. That, <laughs> please, makes me growl. Bubble boy, and and and, boy. and they have so live good. camera feeds about the about the thing floating through the air. I watched it. At I know. Work. I know. Bill and I. It both. was disappointing. <laughs> Very disappointing. I'm all disappointed. It shot me afternoon. I'm like, there's a boy in a balloon. Oh my god! I couldn't. I couldn't stop watching it. Half the company was watching. There was a great graphic I saw online. I was going on different, you know, web forums as people were just throwing out snarky comments, and, uh. and the one I loved so much was somebody just goes, "Well, at least the movie Up inspired someone." Yeah, <laughs> that was hilarious. Um, but the, the the other one was just a screen capture of the right hand side of the CNN online, uh, I guess you know, video viewer panel. It basically showed you know the live video feed CNN.com had right now. And the one picture was Senate hearing. The other one was you know Colorado boy aloft in runaway balloon. And the guy just captioned, he goes, "Don't blame the media, really. Which one would you rather watch?" <laughs> it's like, all right, fine, you know. Well, it's true. Maybe you don't want to <laughs> see real news. Maybe you, maybe we did want to watch. I mean, we have a fascination with all of that sort of kids in peril, whether they're in wells or whether they're in balloons. This is true. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just the way society is. I just think that it doesn't really add anything to your I think this is a once-in-a-lifetime thing, though. You're never going to see it's what they thought was a boy in a, in a giant homemade flying yeah, saucer. Yeah, yeah. A, a runaway flying saucer balloon mm-hmm. in Colorado, is that story kind of story doesn't happen every day. But, you know, I mean, 100,000 people died yesterday, and a bunch of them were probably six-year-old boys, and you know, that doesn't merit news coverage, but this one boy named Falcon, who, was a, well, who wasn't even in a runaway balloon, whose he was parents, hiding in the Whose parents used to be in a reality show, and you... Yeah, wife swap, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The fact that I know all of this is because <laughs> you can't, you. like, you can't escape it wherever you go. It's all about. Did you hear about the bubble boy? Did you? Did you? No. Yeah, I did, and I wish I didn't. All right, That's life, I wish I didn't. Well, nobody asked the question. Oh, why was this craft? What was the purpose I of this craft? I asked myself that. No, I. I don't Why care about the kid anymore. There? What's about the craft? I, I, I think they had actually built the craft as some sort of storm chasing device. I don't think it was actually oh. necessarily meant to carry people in it. Or or if they did, I think they had this idea that it was going to only go a, a few feet off the ground and not, not tear off into the sky like a silver Jiffy Pop meteor. Um, <laughs> but... but I mean, but apparently the people they're into they're into hunting extraterrestrials and they're into storm chasing and they're into all sorts of goofy things. And I guess apparently their neighbors all think they're wonderful people. But you got to ask yourself, sure they're, what they're the hell them. were they doing with a fully inflatable <laughs> weather balloon uh, flying saucer popcorn device that was that, accessible to their six-year-old child? Accessible to six-year-old child. It was just tethered by a single rope. You know, yeah. I would have had the thing locked down under a net or exactly. something, right? I mean, it seems like a, I mean, they kept running. Lock kept, and key had what, to keep that thing. You've got to go all the effort to build a homemade dirigible, mm-hmm. right? You do owe it to yourself to to tether it with a little bit more than a single quarter rope. I mean, come on. I mean, you know, it, it, it's it's really expensive. What if it gets blown away on its own and yeah, nobody's right. sitting in? That's it. a lot of mylar. But I mean, the whole thing seemed akin to you know securing your house with a simple one, those simple you know hook and hook and eye hook, you know, yeah. you know locks. Like there you go, screen doors closed, robbers can't come in. It's like no, it's it's more than that, you know. <laughs> it's it, stories like that are just very disappointing. I remember back when Michael Jackson died, Jared. 
the other editor who who will someday appear on this podcast, who uh, highlighted the CNN front page, and it was something like 15 of the news links. 15 yeah. of the links on the front page were Michael Jackson related. It was it was amazing. Now, I know that was a big deal, but this is another I don't one know of why the I symptoms. Had to bash CNN so much. This is the symptom of CNN where it's where they seem to have drifted away from news. Yeah. And into whatever pop culture reporting, pop tabloid reporting they yeah. want to get into. It's really, I mean, yesterday was a slow news day. That's yeah. why. Oh, yeah, sure. very slow. I think the reason why CNN deserves a little bit of bashing, though, is the fact that I remember it from the old days, and it was really like, you know, the the online, you know, the, you know, the constant. It's where you s- went for news. Source of reputable news, exactly. Yeah, it's a little you know? more respected than and it was today. international, it was national. It was like, you know, where are you going to go to get the news that really is important? And somewhere along the way, they've kind of lost their, they've lost the path. And they seem like they're they're chasing the the sideshow carny elements mm-hmm. of things like you know Fox News and whatever, with just you know Glenn Beck you know crying and wrapping himself up in a flag and all that. They, they I guess they feel the need to somehow compete with that nonsense. And so yeah, you have the Situation Room, and they've got like it's almost like NORAD in, in the scene, and, and they got all dedicated to this flying balloons. Like all right, yeah, I, I, it's twenty four hour. I mean, it's the problem of a twenty four hour news cycle. You got to compete yeah. with the internet. There's a lot of things competing for people's attention. So now the story could have been better if Captain Sully like had if, like gone up and like well, flew up and like rescued him. Geez, then board. they would have made the, awesome. the made for TV movie would be debuting on Monday. Would exactly. you watch it? No. <laughs> Anything made for TV? Let me tell you one one thing. If there is ever a movie that is says based on true events or based on a real right. story, I don't watch it. Really? Because I don't care about reality when I'm watching a movie. I want oh, to watch I something that's entertaining. That's why no, I, like I want to watch something stuff. entertaining. My life is real. I don't film it and watch it. Watch it playback. <laughs> I don't care about anyone else's life. I make it fun. That's what I want to spend my entertainment dollar on. I wish movies that were completely fabricated, like Lord of the Rings, would just have based on a true story attached to it. Just, <laughs> you're the yeah. Matrix, based on a true story. Really? Yeah, yeah. Check out Godzilla versus Mothra, based on a true story, man. I'm it's pretty real. sure you'll mess with some people's heads that way. Yeah. But the thing is, it's great because you know when somebody explains why something is good, based on a true no matter story. what it is, you know it was based on a true story. Oh yeah. It doesn't make it better. <laughs> I don't think it's, it's still poorly acted or poorly written. I don't care if you oh, based it on anything. Exactly. There's a reason why Star Wars made a lot of money. That it was because it was based on a true story, wasn't it? Because it isn't real, <laughs> and that's and just. Isn't real sucks. Uh, well, we this is where we this is where we agree to disagree, yes, sir, and frankly, we, we you differ. should agree with me. Well, I think we can all agree <laughs> on the false. fact that when the uh, Balloon Boy movie comes out to a theater near you next year, none of us will see it because Emily's allergic to the movies. Morgan hates the Balloon Boy, and I have kids, and I never get out to the cinema. So. <laughs> There you go. There you go. Unless I'm starring in it, in which case (laughs) you should all see it. Well, that's the weekend recap. And next coming up, we'll uh, talk about something else that's of equal importance to us and of trivial importance to the rest of the world. Coming soon. So for our next segment, uh, Morgan, what do you have for us? I have a couple things. First of all, in the whole idea of let's rag on the insurance companies – Evidently, Chinese drywall has resurfaced in that insurers are dropping customers who've, who make claims, you know, who have Chinese, who have defective Chinese drywall, send yep. a claim out to their insurer to get reimbursed. And the insurer goes, no, we're not going to reimburse you for that. And also, your policy is canceled. Your whole homeowner's <laughs> you policy. The whole thing. It. Yeah. You don't like Too bad. And, it, and on the surface, it seems like a really <clears throat> jerky thing to do. Yeah. But really, uh, it's not that – I mean – it's not covered under their homeowner policy. This is a builder's defect. So 
you know, the insurance company shouldn't necessarily be held accountable for something that was a builder's defect. It wasn't a damage. That ha- it's a pre-existing condition, if you will. Right. You know, fortunately, nobody can go and sue the Chinese drywall companies because that's suing China, and that would be pretty much virtually impossible. So it seems to be within the insurance company's right to say, now buy, because what if we keep you on as a client, something else is going to go bad after we've already acknowledged this problem, and then we're going to have to reimburse you for that, so you're pretty much a bad risk. Of course, it doesn't. It's not very sporting of them. Not very nice. You know, like yeah. you were saying before, the insurance companies seem to be. T- they tend to get a little bit caught up between profits and being human. <laughs> I don't know where you go with this. I mean, yeah. you're a business. You want to make money, but you also want to. So, is there leave any, is there any effort? Uh, we're talking about policy cancellation. <laughs> Are they canceling policies and then not coming back to these these policyholders whatsoever with anything else? Like like or is it? Uh, like, like, like I can imagine an insurance company well, may, go, may, been... may go. You know what? All right, we're going to cancel your policy, but then we're going to offer to rewrite a policy for you. We're just going to exclude this whole drywall thing. Or is the problem so? No, they don't want to. They don't want to. They don't want to. It's not so much the. Uh, it's not like tied to the homeowner them. Person, no, it's tied yeah, to the structure. Right. You, structure. This this drywall right now, the defects that may come from the drywall, yeah, or are so far unpredictable. I mean, it's doing a lot of more of like bad smell. Maybe it's might be corrosive to certain pipes or not. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's not really like a this is what's going to happen to drywall and this is how long. I mean, yeah. this could be one of those things that there are a lot of de- things in your house start falling apart, and uh, they just don't want to insure that home at all. And so the structure just becomes indicted. Basically, the drywall has to be replaced before they will reinsure that house. That's like the whole interior yeah, of a house. Right. That's a huge, that's, expensive. That's a, that's a big job. It's like gutting the house. Uh, it's it it's it's pretty much you know that's it. We wipe our hands of it. I mean, it's only been there's only a handful of cases. Good luck finding a new home. Yeah, and how is that legal for the insurance companies to legal. do that? It's perfectly legal. It's perfectly within their rights to decide whether well, whether it's in the policy language. Then it's legal. It's just it's just a matter. It's of... It's not. It's not the, the insurance company's responsibility to insure your home. It's your responsibility to get insurance. You're, you know, it's not. I, I mean, I don't know if that's entirely true. But I mean, I'm sure there's somebody else. Well, it is me in the sense, that, like for most people who have to finance their houses, the it's the your responsibility to have insurance. And yeah, if you don't have insurance, insurance, then you can't have the house. It seems a little strange. I mean, there's a lot of. I'm sure there's more than enough foreclosures as it is. So you're basically adding more reasons why people would foreclose because yeah. if you can't get insurance, which is a legal requirement in many cases, in your on your you know homeowners insurance. Then you can't. Then that house is basically foreclosed because, well, you can't even live there really. Yeah. You're gone. If you can't afford the repairs either, at some point you just can't afford the house. You know what I'm waiting for? Class action lawsuit brought on behalf of these policyholders uh, because citing that the policy language that allows for this sort of thing to happen um, is so obtuse and so unreadable that it it, it impinged upon the uh, or, or, or somehow somehow reduced the policyholders' ability to really understand the nature of the contract into which they're entering. Um, I don't know if there's a precedent for that sort of lawsuit or not. Well, I guarantee somebody out there is trying to think about I'm it. I'm sure though. somebody's thought about it. There was a, there was a good quote by one, by the, uh, the I guess the case, this is an Associated Press story and one of the, and the main you know people that they talked to you know the the personal face on it. These people were getting kicked out and had to move find a new house or something. I think they were moving back to Colorado or whatever wherever they had started before they went to Florida. <laughs> Needs a place to launch their balloon. Yeah, eh? something like that. There you go. <laughs> and the uh, the spokesperson had a good quote. You know, he says someone bought a new car. This is closer for the insurance company. If someone were to have bought a new car and it was a defective part, would that person go to their auto insurance company to get that fixed, or would they go to the manufacturer? We provide insurance, not a warranty service. That's a good point. After you say that, I'm like, well, yeah, okay. I can't really fault you for it. Yeah. Like I said, it kind of makes you look like a jerk, but you'd also be a jerk for paying money that you're not necessarily <laughs> responsible for paying. Well, you'd be a chump, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, so really, I mean, it's, it's, it's this idea. I mean, it's it's... 
it's unfortunate. People people didn't necessarily, you know, nobody yeah, knew yeah, this was going to happen. They, they, every, these, well, the big lesson here is don't buy drywall from China. I mean, yeah. that's the, well, that's that's not even the, I mean, this stuff was shipped in for years. I mean, it was talking like 2007 when they're thinking that some of this stuff came in. Uh, either imported from, see it says here, this stuff was imported in over two, from 2004 to 2008. Yeah. So there's there's tens of thousands of houses that have potentially defective drywall. And yeah, it's yeah. mostly in the south, the southeast, mo- I would almost imagine, all yeah, of Florida. Yeah, it, it probably but has something to do with that. I mean, because configure where a lot of construction must have been at the time the stuff was coming in was places that had been yeah. smashed by hurricanes or, maybe, or there's a lot of growth in Florida. Yeah. So, I, I mean, probably there's both. probably drywall mm-hmm. elsewhere. It just seems to be in Florida, unless it has right. something to do with the climate causing the drywall to you know, erode faster. Oh, right, right, right. I don't know what Humi- Like, high levels of humidity. I can't right. say I've looked into knowing, like, all of all of this other than the fact that it seemed like, and it, on the surface, it's always like, oh, yet another product that China, you know, imported, or yeah. that we imported from China. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. Is it just yeah, one yeah. Chinese drywall company, or is it several of them? I think it's that? more than one, but I can't, yeah. I can't. Really and recall. they're not even doing anything to reconcile this? Or? Well, it's, I mean, there's been a lot of products from China that have had, pro- there was a lead paint, uh, mm-hmm. you know, in, the, in the toys, yeah. and there was the uh, poisonous toothpaste and all that. True, but you know, I was talking to a risk manager at one point who was saying that you know, you know, China as a, as a manufacturing base is getting kind of a bad rap over, especially like right. last year that whole blizzard of things. Because yeah. he said you know, a lot of them were there were American companies or Western companies that were simply doing their manufacturing in China, and the facilities in China were simply acting upon the instructions they received from the home office. So really, the decision to create products that were faulty or that were defective or whatever. Um, it wasn't that the Chinese couldn't the the Chinese factories couldn't make them properly. It was that they were going, oh, well, we, if we make them like this way, they're going to have certain results. And the bosses went, oh, okay, we we can live with that. And so you know, there's the culpability goes for a lot of these things. Kind of goes goes beyond just the production facility. So um, they're depending on uh, basically then that these unscrupulous companies are probably depending on the fact that. Well, we blame it on China if things go wrong. <laughs> yeah, sure. You know, I mean, maybe there's a certain level of let's cut some corners because they may not. They're not going to trace it back to us immediately. They're going to trace it back to China, and we'll just go, "Oh, it's China. What are we going to mm-hmm. do?" I mean, oh. I mean, I mean, I'm certain there are cases where right. a company was trying a best effort to make you know a genuinely good product, and just the facility was just not up to the task of doing it properly, and things well, got screwed up. I mean, that, I, mean that, I think that that happens with most product liability. It's not like there's some. Uh, unscrupulous fat cat out there who you know who who you know yeah, yeah, I mean you hear about those bean counter situations that are they're kind of famous you know like oh well you know if ten cars blow up and we get you know a million dollar claim off of each of them that's less than the recall will have to do I mean that that sort of thing has happened but I gotta believe um, maybe it's just naive optimism but I gotta believe that's the exception rather than the rule and most when you have product liability situations usually it's just a matter of simple failure to produce something properly. Well, the, the basic idea is that if you kill your customers, that's bad business. <laughs> Generally speaking. I would think. So I'm sure that that's not their objective. You can screw them over many times. Yeah, just I mean, kill them you once. might want to cut that's some a... corners here and there, but that's like a short-term business th- business <laughs> exactly. model, you know? Putting yeah. antifreeze into toothpaste, well, maybe that makes that toothpaste stretch a little further, but <laughs> after a while, somebody's not going to be too pleased with having antifreeze in their toothpaste. Yeah, exactly. Unless you want to br- brush with antifreeze, in which case, knock yourself out. <laughs> we call that the college years. Yeah. <laughs> we should keep an eye on this to see if there is, as you mentioned before, any type of class action. Yeah, most yeah. definitely. I mean, so. it gives a little bit more life to something that just seemed like yet another footnote to product liability. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, now right. there's the insurers involved, and it's unfortunately in Florida, where it yeah. seems to be whenever there's a dispute with homeowners, it starts there. And What I find fascinating about this is that given the severity and the scope of the problem, it, there is a geographic, like, you know, regional kind of nature of this whole thing that basically these things are more or less concentrated in a certain part of the country which I find fascinating because when I first heard about this I imagine okay it's you know you know there, you know, just houses all across the country in relatively even distribution have this problem and I realized no 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 it's it's more or less a, a section of the country um, that, that in which this is coming up and it just, you just don't 
hear problems like it's, this of, of it, that sturdy. It most likely was just because that's where the you know that's where so the construction the was. Going, yeah. That's where whoever was in that area did their sort of thing. Yeah, I sure. Mean, I'm sure, somebody who knows better than we do can fill us in if they are so inclined. Indeed, indeed. But it's interesting. What else you got? At the least. Ah, uh, well, our buddy Bill here drives a hybrid car. Yes, I do. Yeah. And it turns Ford out, Escape Hybrid, fantastic SUV. It gets like 35 miles of the gallon. Wow. It's it's a great ride. Love that. We thing. Uh, we 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 would call him a dirty hippie, other than the fact that he pays less gas mileage than we do. So in the end, <laughs> who's the dirty hippie? Except, well, Emily, you don't drive. I don't. Public I don't own a car. I, I walk Liz, everywhere. Yeah. See, so therefore, <laughs> you're probably the hippie. coolest person on the block. But Bill and I live in the suburbs, <laughs> and his car is a hybrid. Mine is not. I guess he's laughing all the way to the... <laughs> well, actually, no, away from the gas pump. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but as it turns out, though, these hybrid cars are going to kill you. Or, well, maybe that's, that just sounded like one of those cool things. Like, they're going to kill you. Film at 11. <laughs> exactly. You know, <laughs> then we your salad bark and poison no, you. Check, film at 11. Then, we, then, we, then yeah. we stop the podcast and we, took, we leave for a week <laughs> yeah. and you guys can all hang out and find exactly. out why. They said I was going to die. They won't come back and tell me why. <laughs> no, here's the thing. For all of you who don't have hybrid cars, and when I first heard this, it seemed obvious, but I never thought about it. They, uh, these here hybrids, when they're running on the electric motor, they're running silent. They are quiet. Right. S- virtually silent. In fact, so silent that the fear of the fact they're going to run people over who can't hear these cars coming, mm-hmm. whether you're hearing impaired or just not paying attention, is uh, got the car companies trying to look for ways to add noise to the engines, to, the, to <laughs> when they... Doing things like either putting speakers in the bumper, like I think BMW it says here is uh, was is looking at, at uh, no maybe it's not BMW somebody else anyway they're looking at putting speakers in the car that would have like certain sounds whether it's like yeah. a car sound or or I would imagine that it would go so far as you could probably put your own sound in there like a ringtone or something I would imagine if you have speakers you could certainly <laughs> Attention, hook up this car is running on no <laughs> gas well it's 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 actually pretty interesting I mean the they're yeah. saying that a person who you know a blind person yeah it, standing on the corner. Can hear a a gasoline powered engine twenty five twenty eight feet away, yeah, a hybrid seven feet before they can hear it. Well, I'm here to tell you from a personal and standpoint, and if you're seven feet away from true. a speeding car, yeah, you're dead. Well, first of all, you, well, you're not going to be seven feet away from a speeding hybrid because they don't speed. Okay, because yeah, yeah well, yeah, I, I mean the car we have a lot of hybrids. Uh, well, there there are electric cars out there. They're entirely electric. Okay, and you're probably going to see more of them. Um, and they're and they're like they're, I know this is one car. See, I'm fascinated with weird, crazy, small cars. There's one out I was thinking about buying, but my wife said no because A, it didn't go fast enough, B, it didn't protect me from the elements, and C, it would make me look like a raging dork. And it was this thing called the Gem. It was this, it, was a, it was almost like a big glorified golf cart. It was, it was entirely electric. And my car, I, I drive from my home to about two miles away to the train station to catch a train to New York City, and then I walk to work from there. So I actually drive very, very little. Um, so I was like, ah, you know, I'll get one of these electric things. But anyway, the thing with hybrids is that the way the engine works, it, it you, when you first turn on the car, the, you can't drive on battery power because the, the engine has to. The battery charges off the energy, off the energy from the gasoline engine. Okay, so you run it for a little bit, and then the battery charges up. And as you drive around, when you brake, if you brake, you try to brake more evenly because the ener- the kinetic energy that's transferred to the braking system actually feeds into the battery. So when you're driving and braking, that charges up the battery. And after a few minutes, the battery has enough charge to actually start driving the vehicle on its own. Now with my car, it only is, you know, um, it only it only take you a certain amount of speed. Like you only go up to about 25 miles an hour on battery. It's like just like like at the top in the second gear. Um, and at that point, if it gets any faster, then, the, you know, you, you see the, the, the spin off, the, the, the the RPM meter, all of a sudden, you know, the engine kicks on, and you can hear the engine roar to life, and then you're driving at normal speed. So, nobody's going to get, like, clipped by a hybrid doing, like, you know, 65, 70 on silent. Well, it's not going to happen. But I will tell you this, though. I live on a narrow, 
residential street. Kids play basketball and that sort of thing, you know, all the time. And this is the part of the, the drive where usually we're coming home from shopping or whatever, and we drive electric the entire way home, you know. And we've got to be careful because there have been a bunch of times we've almost clipped these kids playing basketball in the corner because they they're, they're, on this, they're on the street and they don't hear us coming. And we got to and we and they look up and like, whoa, like where the, where the SUV come from? <laughs> the we're mystery like, car teleport uh, yeah, from. Yeah, 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 and you know it's great because you know we always joke how you know the car you know the car is black and right, we've got our stealth device on, the cloaking devices on, that sort of thing. But it it is quiet and it is I mean. People have a hard time imagining how quiet a hybrid can be, but I mean they are really, really quiet. It's it's like a golf cart when, mm-hmm. when it's rolling. All you hear more than anything, you hear the sound of the, the tires. tires like crunching gravel. Right. You know, and that and that's if you're on a nicely paved road, you won't hear anything. So, but well, I mean, the, the, I would imagine that these. I mean, a lot of the car companies that are looking into this are, you know, like I said, I think BMW is one of them. Yeah. The Fisker Karma, which is an eighty-five, eighty-seven thousand plug-in hybrid, eighty-seven thousand dollar. Plug-in hybrid. <laughs> so we're talking about it's maybe like crazy rich people. Maybe it's, at this point, the the uh, need for you know yeah. some sort of acoustics in the electric mode probably has filtered down to the cars like yours that might not reach a top speed of well, twenty-five you know, in electric. I but I imagine the Fisker Karma can for eighty-seven thousand dollars. I hope it can go faster than right. uh, you know twenty-five. Yeah, right, electric. right. Well, I mean, you know, you know, entirely electric sedans, they can go highway speed, you know, right. and, and those things are quiet. Now, is there an actual, like, trend of liability? Like, have there been cases where people got backed into by a car? That, no, you know uh, what it is? I think this is actually what I was wondering about. Yeah, people have talked about this since hybrids went, first went on the market. Once it got stopped, once it stopped talking about, oh, hybrids can accidentally explode if they get rear-ended, right? Cause right, because the batteries, thing. Yeah. Um, Then they talked about, oh, you know, you know, these things are so dangerous, they could hurt somebody. I mean, this is so quiet, they could hurt somebody. Um I, I keep waiting for a case where some kid gets backed into by his mom because the hybrid's so quiet he didn't know. But I don't, I don't know how well, so, many. So I mean, this is this is only one article. Of yeah. New York Times. It doesn't. I'm sure it's it's not, may not be comprehensive at all. But it seems to me from just reading this and thinking yeah. about it, this might be one of the few cases where a certain industry might have been a little bit more proactive in their risk management. Yeah. If they're sure. going to start to develop something, and the government or. There's there's some uh, legislation that might might be introduced to kind of protect mm-hmm. pedestrians, which would then, you know, compel car companies to yeah. do something about this. But if it's happening without, you know, somebody have, having to have taken a loss in order to inspire them to all of a sudden do what they maybe should have done. Yeah. Because I mean, nobody would have foreseen that. Oh, a, a car, a quiet car is a bad thing. I mean, that was probably a good thing. <laughs> right. You know, that's why right. we have mufflers. Yeah, yeah. The whole idea is we have, from the beginning of having cars, we <clears throat> want them to be quieter unless you want a race car. So nobody would have seen that you get things too quiet, yeah. but, but it's good that once you people realize that they're not necessarily going, eh, let's just see if that, see if yeah. somebody gets hurt first. When you mentioned this to me, I, I looked it up for you know a few minutes, and I saw that uh, in Japan Toyota is implementing some sort of noise making device in the Prius. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's cool. Um, and what's weird is that it mentioned about the blind <coughs> people how it's a huge hazard for them, but it never said anything about the kids, as you mentioned. Yeah, and I was like, well, why didn't it even mention that? That's uh, yeah. That's well, kids are going to run important. out in front of cars regardless. It seems like. It's well, they are, but <laughs> but you know the thing is, I, I, I the lesson I picked up these are these are these are not just like six year old kids. These are like like teenagers. These are yeah. like seniors in high school. I think that you get when you're, you know, especially in like in a neighborhood situation where you're used to playing out in the street. Or I live. A lot of people have these like these rolling basketball hoops. They just put up on the edge of their mm-hmm. corner, yeah. or whatever, and they just play out in the street. We did is that too. is that you know people just I think are naturally attuned to listen for the sound of the car rather than constantly looking around looking for the car because you can't play basketball if you're constantly right. looking each way for a car, right? You you, you Assume the you assume the road is clear until you hear a car coming, then you move off. So if you can't hear the car, you got trouble. You're, yeah, that's you tried trouble. and true. And we always we played in the street. Whatever equipment you put in, you had to take out. You know. Yeah. So it's whether it was you know. 
goals or or bases or well, you know, it, this does seem like a relatively easy fix. I remember, you know, um, you know, if you know, if anybody's ever lived in an area where you have a lot of deer, you know, getting you know hitting a deer with your car is a big deal. And I know that I had friends who just got these little, they're almost like these little, um, just air powered noisemaker you just sort of mount on your bumper, and the faster you go, the more air runs through it. It's, it's, it's just like it's almost like a party siren kind of thing. It just you know creates this sound that apparently wasn't super loud, but was loud enough for deer to hear, so huh. the deer could hear really? you coming, and it would ideally scare you off. So I mean, I gotta believe there's some sort of just you know unpowered device you could put on a car, a hybrid, mm-hmm. even only going 25 miles to generate enough noise that you could at least hear something louder than the silence of a hybrid rolling along smooth asphalt. So yeah, Well, you know what it'll end up being? It could very easily just end up being one of those cool little value-added things because you could see yeah, that. Absolutely. I mean, you could do it automatically, yeah. which would be, I, I think it would be less than less fun than having a, like a button on your yeah. dashboard. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> the, <button> on the, <laughs> the scare <laughs> button, you hit it. How- Model T horn. Of course, yeah. yeah. I guess they. I guess they. I guess they call that a car horn. So yeah, maybe I, I guess so. not necessary. Yeah, but, but nobody wants to. Nobody wants to yeah, but the thing is, if you're a crunchy tofu eating hippie, you're not going to drive around with your hand on the horn all the time. Of course, the problem with that is though, is if you made it some sort of personalized sound, like how is that going to be better? Somebody's be like. Oh, I hear a new Britney Spears song. Bam. <laughs> yeah. like, well, well, like, life isn't annoying enough with custom ringtones everywhere you go. Now you need your car has to have a ringtone. Yeah, I want your car to say, please step to the side for Bill Coffin. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, if they did that, that would be excellent. Great. Attention, <laughs> everyone. <laughs> Bill Coffin has arrived. Bill, Bill, or you, Bill or Coffin, what you do Coffin. is you, you, you make it like it sounds like the ice cream truck. And then all the kids run out and you can watch them be disappointed. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just me. Sorry, I got no ice cream. Sorry, it's just a silent car. I just have you. a frown <laughs> yeah. for you. It's my silent death trap. <laughs> I have a scowl instead of ice cream. No. Grr. Well, Get you know, one thing lawn. we talked about before is just how, you know, like the insurance industry has a hard time kind of getting out from under as far as public perception goes. The auto industry has its own problems too. And this well, strikes me as a Great, like, you, know, like, you mentioned before, what a great opportunity to be proactive. And, and I mean, you know, from a from a, a media outreach perspective, I mean, any car any car maker that, that were to take this sort of situation on, you know, and just you know, from the point of view of we want to deliver great gas mileage, we also want to deliver you know safety. We took this on on our, on our own initiative. That'd be a great thing to sell to people, I think. You know, mm-hmm. make you know, and we, you know, the the automaking industry has had a hard time this year, and a lot of people have had a really fun, especially the American automakers. People have had no small amount of Schadenfreude as they've kind of gone to you know the government hat in hand looking for help. This could be a nice little moment where it's not just risk management; it's also good. It's also good media strategy. Let's well, kind of. I mean, anything that you can do to get input. It, it seems like the auto industry has always been one of those companies that goes, "Here's your car, except this." Exactly. You know, there's very been very little feedback, and I'm sure. Yeah, it's a little, it's easy for us to say, "Oh, you should take my ideas," and somehow they're going to just go magically implement them on a million piece scale immediately, just because you said so. But it still boggles my mind that I can get in a car right now, and there's no there's nothing like a USB port. Yeah, I know. Yeah, USB like, port would be so be great a, in a car. Why would there be a USB port in a car at this point? Yeah. I'm sure some have them. Yeah. I mean, they, most of them have auxiliary like connections that you could you know put a wire into that. But yeah, right. everybody's got something that requires a USB port. I can't think it's that difficult to put something like that in a car. Even USB- just even just for like I'm not saying yeah. to run a computer off your dashboard. I'm saying just to charge something. Yeah, right. You know, an iPod, a laptop, whatever. You can charge through those. I, I mean, my I, my car does have you know it has the cable, but it doesn't have you have to buy separate stuff to get all that sort of thing. Yeah, right. Why wouldn't this be standard right now? You know. Yeah. Instead, we're worried about how many cup holders we're gonna have. <laughs> so nice. You gotta have cup holders. So I, yeah, I understand that, but holders. still, <laughs> I, I just think it, it, it's good that the car companies. I mean, they need to do this sort of stuff. They need yeah, to right. look at little things that make them. <clears throat> seem like they care about the customer as opposed to being like, eh, you know what? We're going to be adversarial 
from every point, from the point you go to try to decide <laughs> to buy a car till yeah. the time you take it home and have to get your first oil change, everything's going to be a hassle. Well, you know what? I mean, I've never, I've never designed a car. I never worked for a car company. Yeah, it's but easier said than done. I'm yeah, sure. but you know, I, I you know, I, I gotta believe this. it's one of those things where, I mean, your average consumer car has probably got, I don't know what, ten thousand or more individual components. I mean, the sure. decision making process in making a car, in any car model, is so varied. There's so many people involved. It's almost like it's it's a process that's guaranteed to instill mediocrity. I mean, like, how can one person's vision endure such an incredibly multi-layered process, right? So, I mean, no wonder why so many cars come out. They just seem so compromised, right? I mean, they're trying to appeal to everybody, well, you know, and, 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 building, and, and as a result, they turn on nobody. So, yeah, I mean, We're also I, building on a mass scale, so obviously yeah, that's, I mean, there's going to be limitations. You no. can't do everything, but still. But the I mean, USB port's a good idea. I like that's, it. That's the thing that'll always, that'll always bother me until I actually have a car that has one. And by that point, we won't be running things off USB ports. It'll be like chips in our bodies. Exactly, we'll be doing optical, it with, optical It'll plug. be like everything will be a wireless network, and there won't be a need for everything because it'll just be charging from kinetic energy by sitting on the front seat. So <laughs> this is probably pointless, again. and exactly. maybe that's why they don't do it because they know this my idea is completely you know, <laughs> they, uh, obsolete already. They call it the Morgan factor. It's yeah. like, like, what's the average timeline of a product's length versus the average <laughs> like, yeah. attention what? span of the consumer and the and the anger threshold of the consumer? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah, that, that little that thrill. That sweet spot between a product still relevant, people want it before the Morgans get angry and they're tired of it, you know. <laughs> and I, and I, 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 I will get angry, but I still got a bunch of years in my car left, so I'm not looking for it. There you go. Yet. They got Excellent. some time. <laughs> cool. That's that's uh. So that's those are my two uh, uh, contributions. Your, 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 to story, our, your stories to our, of the week to our discussion here. Excellent, excellent. Well. Guys, thanks for bringing your story, and everybody, thanks for listening to uh, to RiskCast. We're going to try to get this uh, going on a somewhat regular basis, where we bring you uh, the stories that matter most to us, the editors of Risk Management Magazine and the Risk Management Monitor. Uh, come visit us online anytime at rmmag.com and riskmanagementmonitor.com. Uh, we are published by the Risk Insurance Management Society, so swing by their website at www.rims.org. Uh, until then, I'm Bill Coffin, uh, here with Emily Holbrook and Morgan O'Rourke, and we thank you for listening. See you guys later. Bye. Bye.